Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey, everyone. Excited to have Billy Samoa Salibi on this episode of Eating Crow. I timed this later in our episodes because I wanted to sit down with Billy and kind of share how we were doing with our podcast because he's my mentor. Billy's one of the first people I talked to and has been very generous with his time. He is the host of For the Love of Podcast. Well, there you go. And also his original podcast called Insight Out. What makes Billy special besides his boundless energy is his background in movie and film production and how he's applied that into not only podcasting, but a new company he's announcing called Podify, which is really meant to help both, I call entrepreneurs or influencers, as well as companies create, produce, and really drive compelling content through podcasting. So enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. What I think is going to be an exciting episode of Eating Crow. The legendary Billy Samoa Salibi is with us, and he's also my inspiration. Oh, man. Come on. Thanks. <laughs> Pete, I've been looking forward to this all week. So excited. Quick backstory, then we'll jump into to Billy's background. So Billy's one of the first people I reached out to through uh, Alex Sheridan actually recommended that I contact you. And he said, if you're doing a podcast, you have to talk to Billy. For the love of podcast, Pete, you need to talk to Billy. <laughs> <laughs> so I started Inside Out, and that's Insight, not Inside, sort of a play on words, with the goal and intention of creating a podcast, actually not too dissimilar from what you're doing, you know, talking to leaders and entrepreneurs and, you know, having had leadership background, I thought, okay, I could bring on people who I admire and respect either through my own personal warm network or others who I thought would be interesting to tell their story with really the goal of finding insights from their lives that would be valuable to learn from. And the show sort of over the first 50 episodes, I would say evolved into what it is today, which is less about the the human being and and their insights more about the insight itself and unpacking it and really going granular with a specific insight i mean the people matter and i want remarkable people but the insight is the show or is the story mm-hmm. and then describing how that could be applied in the lives of the people listening as that evolved what i realized was I'm all in with podcasting, like no doubt about it, much like you. And we've had this conversation is I'm committed, like pot committed is, is no, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. And so I said, okay, frankly, I need to have a more defined audience for my next show. I felt that was a little bit too wide with inside out. And I said, well, I'm so interested in podcasting. Why not do a, a go meta with it and do a podcast about podcasts kind of for podcasters and helping them make better podcasts and at the same time, helping myself become a better podcaster. So I created this show, which is all about, as you said, it's for the love of podcast, where I brought on people like Jordan Harbinger and Dave Jackson and people in the hot podcast hall of fame who've made a name for themselves, who've been in the industry a lot longer than I have and learn from them, ask them questions about their career. What helped make them successful? What do they feel are the building blocks to make a podcast successful and ultimately share their story with my audience who mostly is people who also love the craft, love podcasting. So that's the reason I have two. And and honestly, I I considered be super transparent. I considered stopping inside out and I am so glad 
that I didn't because actually I feel like inside out has become such a better show as a result of me doing for the love of podcast. And so now I'm like all in on both of them. There's a really key subtle message in what Billy described why he started the second podcast and that's narrowing your audience. Yeah. And, and they say the riches are in the niches and that only works if you actually use the word in that way and say niche and not niche. But the point being you have, the ability to tap into a core group of people when you know who you're speaking to. And most of the people that I've talked to, they say, get super specific on a human being level. Like who is the actual person you're talking to? Meaning like name that person, describe that person. How mm -hmm. old are they? Where do they live? What do they do for a living? What are their wants and desires? What, what would make your show something that would impact them or influence them in some way? And that's who you're speaking to. You're not speaking to the audience. You're speaking to that person. That's a through line that I've learned over and over and over again from talking to enough people who've experienced success. And so very, you know, we have, we've had very similar experiences that, you know, I felt I was too broad and I was speaking to too many people. You talk to try to talk to everyone and kind of, you talk to no one. And so, mm -hmm. you know, look, the journey as a podcaster is one in which you constantly look for ways to up your game, look for ways to improve how you, execute and how you take care of uh, all of the nuts and bolts of your show. But I think what it gets down to the core foundation is who are you speaking to? You're now launching a business around helping people do podcasts. So this might be the big announcement. I don't know. I'd like to think my show is it, but thank you. Cause you've been incredibly supportive. So the name of the service is Podify production services that include everything from actually producing a podcast all the way through to the promotion of a podcast. What we envision uh, is to create something that will allow the user to really experience something in a new and exciting way. And so we have some tech that we're putting behind what we're building. As you know, there are so many moving parts with the podcast that it becomes very difficult for one person to make it work. And so we become the team around the podcaster to help them get their show not only going, but keep it going. And we don't want people to what most people refer to as pod fade, which is they start the show, they're all excited. And then eventually things happen, life happens, and they end up shutting it down because they can't make it sustainable. Podify is the solution that will help make it sustainable. And the tech part uh, is all the tech that will allow us to automate certain parts of the process so that they just literally don't have to worry about so many elements of the production and the promotion side. So they know it's going to be done and it's going to be done in an exceptional way. So if you're a leader or an entrepreneur looking to get a business off the ground and you're not podcasting for your business, you're failing. It's long form content. It can be used in so many micro moments across your entire network. B2B podcasting is, in my opinion, probably the best weapon when combined with the other networks and channels that you deal with, because you can launch your podcast and promote it on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. What's happened over the, since the last time you and I've talked is we've, we found a few influencers, frankly, that we're going to be partnering with on the early stage of our launch that have very large followings on LinkedIn. And as you know, I've been very active on LinkedIn over the last year. Mm -hmm. And so I think it'll be a combination of people who already have large followings or existing audiences that can quickly land sponsorship deals outside of our company that will help to fund and pay for our Brilliant. production services. So that's one sort of creative channel. The other one is, as you said, businesses. And to your point, if you're, if you're not podcasting right now, you're, you're frankly, 
you haven't missed the boat, but the boat is leaving the dock very soon. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I say that is not fear of loss or time. It's just like, why not get started now? Because to your point, it's an incredible part of a business development strategy that if you think about the fact that when I interview a guest or when you interview a guest, it is a warm relationship that is created. So instead of you going to clients and saying, Hey, can I show you my widget, my product, my service? You're now saying, Hey, can I have you as a guest on my show? And it may or may not turn into a client or a customer, but it may. And so we all know that B2B and and frankly, all business is based in relationships. That is the way that people buy and trust others is through the relationships that are established. Well, when you create a podcast and then you invite people on your show, you are one, you're giving them a very enticing way to meet you. And two, you're, you're taking the first step to establishing and building the trust necessary for a relationship. So it is a huge business development tool that people a lot of times are blind to because they think, as you said, well, who's going to want to listen to a podcast about X? Well, there's an audience for everything, especially mm-hmm. if you're bringing on thought leaders in that industry. Tell you what to do a quality podcast is not easy. Mm-hmm. And I've lived it. I, I've made poor quality podcasts for the first half of my podcasting career. Yeah. And I think the other piece to that is you you have a few minutes, maybe, may, maybe only 30 seconds to grab their attention. Yes. But to show them that the podcast that you're putting out into the universe, it's of the quality that you care enough to make it something that they don't immediately say react to and say, Oh, I, I don't want to listen because it sounds like, you know, an echo chamber that is right. talking on a phone. It's not just about your individual download numbers for your show. You have to look at it as a much broader way to target sponsors and advertisers. Cause if you're in a, a niche or a niche and you could say that you have X amount of followers on LinkedIn, or you have X amount of likes on your posts and, and, and so forth, you're now giving them a much broader sense of how establishing and forging a relationship with you as a podcaster will help get that brand's message out to more people. It can't be in a vacuum that you say, okay, I'm a podcaster and I get, you know, 500 downloads or a thousand downloads an episode, which isn't very many, but you're, but what you're actually able to do is you have other channels that exist in, in, in the LinkedIn example, some of these LinkedIn influencers that I'm working with, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or even over a million followers in some cases, they have much broader reach as a result of the influence on other platforms. And so, True. you know, not everybody has that, of course, but if you do and you're doing a podcast, your, your, your reach is much broader than just the downloads you're getting on each specific episode. And it's a long form way to tell a story. You've received permission to explain how. That's one of my big things. You, you need to get the why across in 30 seconds and then you get permission to explain how. Yeah. It, Billy, part of your background, I think that's interesting, and you've woven it into your podcasting career. You have a background in in TV and video and movie production, right? You were a producer. You know how to tell stories. And a podcast is a way to narrate a story through another person. Explain how you've leveraged your background in video production and TV production and movie production. Yeah, I know. I love your question. So I, I'd say that more than anything, like you said, the editing matters. And so- mm-hmm. When I made my film, there was the script, there was what I shot, and then there was what I showed. <laughs> and that was what I edited. Understanding who I'm speaking to and what value they could provide to the audience, perhaps what stories I think will resonate. And then I go, as you know, 
super deep with the research side of things. And mm. so that means not just listening to other interviews they've done, but like try to find places that other podcast hosts haven't looked maybe other social media platforms where they don't have a large presence or maybe some esoteric, you know, blog that they wrote 10 years ago. I, I give you an example. I had this guy, Jeff Harry on my show, really charismatic guy. He's all about play in the workplace or play just generally like channeling your inner child. And he has this one YouTube video. It didn't have very many views, but he reads this letter that his dad wrote to him. His dad's since passed away and it's, I get chills just talking about it. It's so powerful and it's, it's, it's a really touching letter. It's his dad, like talking to him, like, Hey, this is what, you know, this is how you should approach life. And wow. it, it's, it's very, it's very meaningful. So I started my podcast by reading this letter to my guest without saying who it was. I said, I'm going to read you something. I read it to him and he was just floored. Well, since that's happened, he's now referred me to about five other guests. He's written a blog post about that interview. He's been on 60 shows in the last 60 days. So we're going to talk about how this evolved into a career with Tesla in a few minutes, but I wanted to talk about a movie that you actually produced yourself that, that got some traction and won some awards and it's called rolling. You, you produced it in 2007. When I watched it and it's, by the way, it's very visual. I mean, there's a lot of movement in the camera. The scenes are very visual. It's pretty graphic, right? It's it's a it's a strong message about drug use. Help us understand why did you produce? What was the thought process? I have to make this movie. Was it based on some experience you had or a message you wanted to share with the audience? What drove that? Yeah, thanks for asking. And I I don't often talk about it because it's just it was like a it feels like another a lifetime ago. Sure. But I, I I enjoy talking about it, and I love unpacking it. I'd say that. When I got out of film school, I said, okay, I spent a significant amount of money paying somebody to teach me how to make films. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't take it seriously as a 20 year old kid. And I, I didn't have any ambition of being kind of moving up the, the ladder for major production houses. And so I said, I gotta make my own movie. And so I'll be very transparent here. The day I graduated college, I experimented with the drug ecstasy. I took it literally the day I graduated. Didn't really plan on taking it, just sort of popped up and I did it. That led to several years of me experimenting with this drug. And for those that haven't experimented with it, it's a very emotional, empathetic inducing drug where you have this connection with people in a, in a way that you can't really experience in a way without actually taking it. It's, it's profound. But I also recognize that like anything, there are inherent risks. There are inherent risks with taking the drug. And so they say, write what you know. And so at the time I was like, okay, I'm gonna write a story about this. And I didn't think there was anything that really talked about the drug in a way where the drug was part of the story. And so I made this movie rolling. And, and so I wanted to cover the gamut and I wanted to tell a story in a way where I was authentic to what it's like to, to take the drug and not hold one unified stance pro or con but really show everything and that's why i did it and uh you know it was an amazing experience i'm very honored that it did as well as it did from a you know a viewer standpoint and that it gathered the i you know i call it a cult following uh it gathered this cult following i spent seven years of my life making it i do want to make more films at the same time, I recognized at that point that that was a lot of time spent on one individual project. And I and that's what helped me transition into what was a totally different part of my career, which was in the, in the sales side and the leadership side, which I know you mentioned we'll talk about. 
onboarding a new employee, particularly with an organization that has a culture like Tesla is so important. You have to, first of all, make sure you're finding the right people that can jive in that culture. Second of all, you want them to eat, you know, sleep and breathe it. Mm. And that onboarding, that's their first impression. That's the go-to. You, they got to walk out of there ready to run through a wall for the company. Mm-hmm. Then you moved into some pretty senior roles in global sales training and product training. That also translates to how that is, those people step out of that building and represent Tesla to customers. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the onboarding process. How did you approach onboarding a new group of employees inside of Tesla? What was your objective? Mm. Well, great question. And I, I again, I, I love talking about this stuff and reliving it in my mind. I think for me, I've, I've always been somebody that tries to put something together, whether it be a movie or an event or an experience, like a training experience, I want them to feel it mm-hmm. because then they'll remember it. What they won't remember is somebody in front of the room just talking without anything that adds more emotion to it. One of the nice things about working for Tesla is it's a very mission-driven company. I just interviewed David Burkis, who's got a great book that he just put out. And one of the things he talks about is having this shared identity. And what he says is that people don't join a company, they join a crusade. And I found that to be very, very true. They would much rather fight for something that they believe in than to be just be part of an organization that, you know, is selling some widget. And so with, with Tesla, frankly, it was easy for that reason that I just mentioned is that it is a mission-driven company. But just because it's a mission-driven company didn't mean that we didn't have to help really create that experience where that was felt from day one and build upon because they all, they're already coming to the organization with this belief that they're working for a company that is truly changing the world, which it is. We'd have them literally test drive the vehicles. We would have them go and do a tour of the factory. And so how do you get this emotional connection to this company that is so amazing on the exterior? How do we make it that amazing, if not more on the inside? And so you have to help them appreciate what it's like to be there. You know, sometimes it was more difficult than others. It depended on the size of the of the audience. So we'd have our onboarding experience in our factory, but because I led global onboarding, we'd have onboarding all over the world. And whether you are onboarding in you know our Asia Pacific markets or EMEA or wherever, we wanted to make sure that anyone that joined the company had the type of experience that would channel the emotional side, get people to rally behind the mission, and help them meet people that will help make their job let's face it they need friends the sooner they can get friends the better but more than anything they need somebody that they can talk to and so if there's anybody listening that does onboarding how do you quickly connect them with other people i think that like connect them to the mission and connect them to people if you could do those two things then you're well on your way all the other stuff they forget they forget 90 percent of what you're going to say and most people forget 90 percent of what you're going to say in a training and I have a lot of experience, not only with onboarding, but sales training. Literally, when I worked at Solar City, I got an email from our IT guy who I was friends with because I, I produced a show called Solar City TV. And he was one of the main people. He said, you have the most Zoom hours of anyone in the company. It was a 15,000 person organization. So yeah, I have a lot of Zoom experience. And part of the reason that I really appreciate the platform is that y- you have a, an ability to be with somebody as, as, as real as you can be in a 2D world. And there are ways for you to interact. And I think that's what it comes down to. I think people assume it can't be an interaction. Well, it can be if you think creatively. 
And so a lot of the things that we would do, we would do things like Kahoot, which is an interactive game where people could use their phone as the controller. So now you're bringing fun into the equation. We would do things like Family Feud, where people would compete one side of the room or, or virtual room against another side of the room. Um, things like American Idol. And so there are many ways that you can look at virtual and say, oh yeah, it doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it, you can be defeated and think that it, it doesn't work. But I, I, I challenge that assumption and say, how do you reinvent it? There are, there are inherent advantages to using a platform like Zoom. You could talk to anyone around the world, right? So now I could have guests that are in our Asia Pacific market. Or I could have a guest, you know, one of the leaders from EMEA and, and that would allow us to tap into people that we wouldn't necessarily fly out to be at a training. And so I think there's ways in which you can leverage the virtual medium. Like you and I talking right now, like it would be a lot more as you know difficult as it is to schedule podcasts. It's not that difficult when you don't need to meet in person. And right. so I'm, I'm a huge fan of embracing the technology that exists because this didn't exist 20 years ago. And I think people that are, Ho humming the, the 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 you know the virtual thing as as a challenge. I'm like, wow, it's it's an opportunity. It's a way for you to talk to unlimited people. Literally, you could talk to anyone. You could talk to Bill Gates if you had enough courage to say, I want to talk to you, and you figure out a reason to make him compelled to talk to you. You can talk to him. I really mm -hmm. believe that. And so, you know, whether it be for a business or it be for anything, I'd say embrace the technology that exists. There's so much to unpack there that leads to the next phase, which is now taking those same people, moving them into sales roles, and then having them go on and represent the Tesla product and services to the, to the market. When you're doing that type of training, Billy, how much of the training was what I'll call Tesla specific versus how much of the training was sales 101 specific? That's a really good question. So it's all about the relationships. If you're great at building relationships, which I think is a skill that everybody can have, I don't think you're, you're, you're good at it. You might have some natural ability, but I think everyone can learn the skill of how to have an engaging conversation and how to care and how to listen and how to engage with other people in a way that they will feel connection. I would put people in situations where they would have to feel like they are speaking to a customer. Yeah. It's not theory, it's doing, it's action. And so while everything that I said about not remembering still holds true. They remember a lot more when they actually feel it and they do it. So I'm big on role plays. I'm big on experiential learning where people are put into a situation where they can actually do it. Knowing who the customer is will help to inform the approach that we're going to take. And the only way you get good at that is by doing it and by listening. And, and you know this, so I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but I think that's the, the number one skill of any person that's great in sales is listening and understanding who they're speaking to. And then they can actually guide them. We're, we don't, the process that we have always done, and this has been all the companies, is as a process as a guide. You're not hard selling. And I'll, I'll just be super blunt. Elon, he wants people to fall asleep on their keyboard and be able to order a Tesla. He's not big on sales. But he is smart enough to recognize, and frankly, he hasn't been smart enough because there were times where he wanted to do away with all sales altogether, being super blunt about it. But what he's realized is it is, an, it is a necessary part because people want to talk to other humans. The, the way in which they will create the Tesla experience is by not ever appearing like you're selling something. Because he, again, he loathes sales. Mm -hmm. And so it's never about getting uh, somebody to 
think that there's a limited amount of time or I'll get you the best deal possible. Like that is not Elon's approach. So it's gotta be way more casual and way more about the customer and understanding why the Tesla experience would be the right experience for them. Every single person that came aboard, yes, they would need to understand the product and inside out. If you don't understand the product, how can you then make suggestions or help be that guide that the customers need? But beyond that, it's once you have all that as the core base, that's the price of admission. You need to have foundational knowledge. You don't need to know everything, but you need to have enough knowledge to be able to have an educated conversation. But beyond that is now you need to be able to quickly understand what customer you're talking to. And, and, and so that's the identification process. And so when I would create trainings, a, a lot of it came down to listening and understanding and putting yourselves, uh, the, 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 the staff and the, and the salespeople in situations where they could practice that. Because again, it doesn't happen without that ongoing practice in real world situations. I'm going to ask you a, a, an interesting question that I want to tie the sales training and the onboarding back to. And it, it comes back to a guest I had on a couple of weeks ago. Her name is Kelly Parthen. She's the founder of Bean Sprouts, which is a very healthy, I'll call it restaurant chain, but they basically live inside of children's museums or museums or children's hospitals. So really brilliant business model. Their culture is extremely important. Their onboarding process is very, very thorough. And I asked her a question at the end of the podcast. I said, how do you translate the culture into a process that can weed out people that won't embrace it? Mm. And her response to me was brilliant. She said, we don't weed out, we weed in. Translate that into the success rate you saw after the sales training. How many people were able to pull it off? People weed themselves out, they do. But mm -hmm. also we, we have an obligation to put them in a position to succeed. And the way in which we do that is by thinking about the life cycle of a new hire. Everything from, as I mentioned, when you get started, you're not in a position to feel comfortable when you started a new company. Mm -hmm. Almost anyone that starts a new company for the first week, they start regretting or feeling like they're in the wrong place. It just happens because it's not familiar. We're out of our comfort zone. And so I think our first step is to make them feel comfortable. And once we, we do that by introducing them to people and putting them in the position where they feel comfortable asking questions, where they feel they have those friends that, as I mentioned, and so comfort is really important when you get started in a new job. It's also hard to do because all too often we are focused on the wrong things. We're focused on, as I mentioned, all those other things. And so if we get really good at making people feel comfortable early on, then the next challenge is how do we help them understand who they work for and understand why it's important that they work for this company? Why should they be a champion of that mission? Why should they feel a sense that what they're doing contributes to the mission? Because I think another, when you work at the time I worked for Tesla, there was like 60,000 people that worked there. People want purpose. People want to feel like what they're doing actually matters. And a lot of times people don't feel that way because they are not guided, much like you would guide a customer. You need to guide a new hire. You're not guided to that understanding. Once you understand those two pieces, the last piece is that you need to give them some early success. And early success means that they need to feel like not only can they contribute, but they are contributing. So whether that be getting their first sale or getting their first lead or appointment or whatever it is for their job function, they need to feel like they've done something 
to say, okay, I can say I've, I've actually contributed to the mission. And then once you start, that's where momentum is created. Momentum is something that I find in nature or in life. It is something that is so important to look at. You, you hear the snowball analogy, you hear all these analogies. Well, they exist for a reason. The reason is, is that most people fail in the very beginning and they can't get momentum started. And we all know that momentum builds upon itself. And so the sooner and the more you're able to get those early wins and compile them, then it builds up. And once momentum is started, it's very difficult to stop that momentum. Now, again, momentum may be hard to start, but I think anyone that's involved with any person that's part of an organization, it's incumbent upon you to say, okay, I have to help this person get those early wins and help them build momentum and help them see that that momentum, momentum is created so they get confidence. And that's sort of the last part is that somebody that has momentum, they have confidence. And confidence is, as you know, it's one of the most important things that I think any human being can have is confidence. This is something I talk about with my eight-year-old. It's something that I talk about with, with anyone that I feel is, is in need of a boost in that area because you'll get so much more out of life when you have confidence in what you're doing because guess what? People want to follow confident people goes back to those days where you know you, you're looking for a leader that you can trust and who will help you guide you through any situation whether that's a lion coming your way or moving and trekking up a mountain that's treacherous if somebody's confident like i know the way then they're going to have followers behind them and the confidence happens when you have experienced success when you've experienced doing something and you say oh i kind of get this oh i'm actually good at this and so as they build confidence, then other people will start to follow them. And that's how uh, the life cycle of a leader begins is with that confidence. Billy, we need to have a podcast just of you as a guest on podcasts. <laughs> There's as much value in what you're contributing as the questions you're asking your guests. Finding, developing, training, and inspiring talent, it gives them confidence. You weed them in. And then they can represent your product and services with confidence. They can have conversations with customers. This is back to the, the main point of why a, a podcast itself is such a powerful vehicle. Everything Billy just described, you can do in your own story with your own customers. You've given us a masterclass in the mechanics, right? But whatever your vision, your message, you can convey in a conversation with a customer. Yeah. And I completely agree. And I think it's, it is people are blind to this reality. And the reason they're blind to it is they make assumptions. They make assumptions that nobody cares, or I, I don't have the time, or I don't know how, or there's, it's too crowded. It, all of that really doesn't matter. Actually, what matters is that you work toward creating a vehicle and a atmosphere where you welcome people into a safe place where they can share insights, knowledge, expertise, advice that will help someone else in that same industry. And so what you effectively do is taking the first step towards establishing a, what could be a, a friendship. It could be a business relationship. It could be a collaboration. It may be that you meet with somebody, they're never going to be a business client, but they could refer you to a hundred business clients, or maybe you refer them to a hundred business clients. And that's a mutually beneficial relationship. And so 
we live in a, a, a world where one of the greatest commodities, and I don't necessarily like that word to describe it, but one of the greatest things we can have are the, 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 is the people in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's the people in our lives that make who we are and what we do come to life. Because when we live in a, a, a bubble of it's just all about us, guess what? We, we are, frankly, we are missing opportunities to expand to a much greater reach through people that may be in our own sphere of influence, but it may be beyond. It may be a friend of a friend. You know, another book David Burkus wrote was a friend of a friend. And his one of the biggest through lines is people think networking is about meeting new people. Yes, it is. But imagine if you were to establish these, these relationships with these people and you were able to further build. So it's like weak and dormant ties, meaning people that you know Maybe you know them because you interviewed them as a podcast guest. Maybe you know them because you used to work with them. Point being is you have these people in your lives. They may not be your best friend and that's okay. It's actually a good thing. If you could take those people and get to know them better, guess what? All of a sudden opportunities start presenting themselves that otherwise wouldn't. And so what you're creating effectively when you interview guests and bring them on the show, you're creating what starts as a weak tie. Cause you, you just said, Hey, will you come on my show? And they said, yes, which that they may say, okay, I'll be a guest, but they're not, they're not thinking they're meeting somebody that's going to be a, an important, it's an important relationship. But what can happen is over time. And the key is over time, you can't go in and have somebody on your show. And then a day later say, will you be my business? Uh, will you, will you, will you be my client? It doesn't work that way. Like any relationship, it, you got to have a, a slow and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a slow grow, right? You got to over time, build these relationships and nurture them and get to know them. And the more that happens, all of a sudden you have all these, what started as weak ties, they become stronger ties, but more importantly, they become ties where there is mutually beneficial things that happen. And again, it could be you referring them or them, them referring you and you don't know, but you got to keep an open mind. And it starts by finding these people that you have interest in because likely your audience will also find interest in those people. Yeah, I know for our corporate podcast, the objective is to build relationships with existing and potential customers, but that takes time. First, they have to know us, they have to like us, That's right. and they have to trust us. We're going to do another one of these again. We got to catch up and, and learn how Podify is going. And yeah, well, I'm, ha you know, I'm happy to do as many of these as we can because I just love these conversations. Yeah. I, you, you took me places that honestly I, I don't normally think about, and I appreciate that as a host. I understand that you, you got to think about what, what will hopefully resonate with your audience, but uh, those resonated with me as well, because it, it put me down memory lane. And sometimes it, it helps to think through different parts of our lives, because those are the things that we learn from. And that's ultimately, we are a collection of the experiences that we have. Because I think my biggest mistake is taking, not going in all in earlier. Like I went in and I kind of went out, meaning mm -hmm. I started getting way, and, and, and I knew I did this intentionally getting very serious about LinkedIn, but as a result, I wasn't as serious about the podcast for a long stretch. Now I've re sort of allocated my time to be a lot more serious about the podcast. And I'm so glad that I have been because as a result, I, I see a, a huge difference, not only in my level of, of being able to do it in a way that I think has improved, but also the ultimate experience for the listener. And, and thanks for everything you've said, man. I, I welcome anyone that is listening to, to reach out uh, either on LinkedIn 
or any any way that, that you've already suggested to clarify on my Podify, it's .co. Uh, and so thanks for putting those in the show notes. And thanks for the opportunity, man. We could do this all day long. And I think you and I would just be giddy with excitement. So I'm, I'm glad that we, we were able to do this. And I, you know, I think the world of you and I just wish you nothing but continued success. And I look forward to being side, you know, just side by side with you on your journey and, and being a, a, a huge fan and supporter of you and the work that you're doing. And I hope that the, the listeners got some value and it, it, I'm happy to help with sales. If they, if anyone, if anyone wants that too, uh, I will go down that uh, path as well, because it is something that's near and dear to my heart. Billy, it's been a pleasure. I can't wait to catch up again and good luck with the Potify launch. We'll talk soon. Sounds good, Pete. Thanks, brother. Yep. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.